here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin, on this Thanksgiving Eve. It's uh, Wednesday. And I'm live here in the nation's capital. That would be Washington, D.C. And uh, we've got much to be thankful for in this country. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, I, I'm going to throw it out there. I'd love to hear from you about what you're thankful for. And if you want, if you want, I think it's fair enough to sort of juxtapose our gratitude with uh, just those things that we could do without over the course of the next year. Some things that we're fed up with in this country that, no, we're actually not thankful for. We're rather unthankful for them. And uh, if we bound together, if we work together, if we focus our efforts and, dare I say, community organize, maybe by this time next year we'll do away with some of those things because a year from now we will have known who won the midterm elections in this country hopefully taking the power out of the hands of the Marxists who are currently calling the shots in our nation's capital, at least in the House of Representatives and in the United States Senate. So what are you thankful for and what are you unthankful for? 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Mark is off today. He'll be back on Monday, but don't miss this Sunday's Life, Liberty and Levin. Sunday, 8 p.m. It's part one of that Trump interview. You want to see this phenomenal interview that Mark Levin had with uh, the president, 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Uh, I am Larry O'Connor. Uh, I am Mark and Julie Levin's morning show in Washington, D.C. I'm on uh, the, the powerhouse station of Mark Levin, WMAL, in Washington. But it is so, it's always a thrill to sit in for the great one because I'll be honest with you, as a radio talk show host, especially a morning show host, you got to be careful who you listen to. Uh, not because we don't have some great radio house out there. We do. And before I started this career, I was just like you. I was a, a maniac for talk radio. Love talk radio. Can't get enough of it all the time. It's playing. It's playing in my car. It's playing in my in my earbuds. It's, it's playing at my desk. It's playing when I'm doing chores around the house. It's playing when I'm mowing the lawn, uh, if I ever get around to it. I'm always listening to talk radio. If not live, I'm listening to the podcast. Of course, I get it. I love talk radio. And the worst thing about becoming a talk radio host is they don't listen as much. I mean, you shouldn't. You shouldn't listen too much. And here's why. Uh, this is why I don't listen to talk radio nearly as much as I used to, because I don't want to accidentally mimic someone. I don't want to accidentally come up with a take that I think is my own, an idea or a way to articulate an idea or an argument that somehow it got embedded into my head that, uh, oh, God, that's someone else's idea. Somebody else used that phrase. Somebody else put it that way. That's the worst. That's the worst. So I don't listen as much as I used to, except for one show. There is one show where I always, at the very least, get that opening monologue. And of course, that's the Mark Levin show. I feel safe and comfortable listening to it every single night because number one, I'm just smarter by the end of it, just like you are, right? I mean, it's, it, it goes well beyond talk radio. It's a masterclass, the Mark Levin show, in our freedoms, our liberties, our constitution, our history, activism, what we need to do, what we need to focus on. More importantly, what we need to ignore in this country so that we can keep our focus on what's important and on the future. Uh, so I, of course, listen for the same reason you do, to get educated and inspired. Uh, but also, I'm not afraid that I'm going to accidentally regurgitate something Mark Levin said for two reasons. Uh, uh, number one, he's just so good. I couldn't even come close 
to rephrasing his incredible ideas when uh, I'm on, what, how many, uh, 10 hours after he goes off the air. Well, gosh, fewer than that, actually. Do your math, Larry. I was told there was no math on this job. I'm on seven hours after he goes off the air is when my morning show starts in Washington, D.C. Number one, there's no way I can be as smart as he is to rearticulate his ideas. Uh, But number two, and uh, frankly, more importantly, if somehow some of Mark's genius filters into how I present the topics of the day to my audience, I I mean, great. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. So I am grateful. I'll start. I'm grateful for Mark Levin and his incredible show that continues to just uh, be a powerhouse in this nation and focus on all of the things that are important. And I love a day like today where we have a huge, important, breaking news story out of Georgia and we can use that topic, we can use that guilty verdict in the murder of Ahmed Aubrey. We can, we can take that and paint a broader picture about this country, paint a broader picture about the greatness of America, paint a broader picture about the people, the insidious voices that we hear in this nation trying to tear this country down every chance they get. Yes, the story out of Georgia is that the murderers of Ahmoud Aubrey were found guilty by a jury of their peers. Of course, that's the story. But what does it mean? Well, the most important aspect of this guilty plea is how the left reacted to it. That, that's honestly the most important takeaway of all, is the left's reaction. Think about what's happened in this country in less than a week. We had a jury in Kenosha, Wisconsin, look at the evidence, push back against all of the artificial pressure and the lies and the media dominance. They sat in that deliberation room in Kenosha, Wisconsin, hearing through their window protests, screams, no justice, no peace, threats. We had an MSNBC reporter following their bus trying to get pictures of them, threats that their lives could be in danger, at the very least their livelihoods, if they were doxxed and exposed to the public. And they pushed back on all of that pressure, all of that intimidation, and they came through with a not guilty verdict in a case that was clear self-defense, where everything you heard about that case before the trial began was a lie. That Kyle Rittenhouse took his rifle and cross state lines lie that he was a white supremacist lie that he had no business being in kenosha lie that he was there on a shooting rampage was an active shooter that needed to be subdued lie 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 they were all lies if any of it were true they would have been brought forward as evidence and they weren't in fact the first thing that happened once the defense and prosecution rested was that the judge threw out any charge about uh, illegal possession of a weapon and crossing state lines because it was a lie and yet they still say it you you turn on cable news today and they'll still mention it and that jury looked at the evidence they did their job they took three days everyone's saying oh my god what's going on here they're taking three days they should have come back sooner then maybe but boy there's something about deliberating that you want to do in a deliberate fashion. They came back with the non-guilty verdict, and they ignored the pressure that was all focused about race in a case that had literally nothing to do with race. Except that Al Sharpton told us it did. 
Except that Joy Reid told us it did. Except that Chris Cuomo told us it did. Except that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris told us it did. Well, all those lies about Kyle Rittenhouse, they all came out in the middle of the summer of 2020. Because the Democrats and their friends in the media, and yes, their friends on the never-Trump Republican right in this country, they had an election to win. And if that meant defaming and slandering and sliming and condemning to jail for the rest of his life, a 17-year-old kid who was defending his life against attempted murder, so be it. Because Trump had to be defeated. And yet the jury pushed back on all of it. And they reached the right conclusion. Meanwhile, in Georgia, we have a case that actually is about race in many respects. The evidence that was presented suggested that yet there probably was some element of profiling, of discrimination, of extra levels of suspicion, and certainly the, the attitude that the murderers in the Aubrey case took in pursuing this man, I believe, based on the evidence that I saw, had some level of a racial element to it. That jury deliberated and they came back with a guilty verdict. So which verdict does the left focus on? Which verdict gets more attention? Which verdict validates what they want you to believe? Say they want you to believe that we have a systemically racist judicial system in this country. They want you to believe that because in that mythology they gain power. And if there's one thing that's true about the political left in this country or in any country since the political left was born, they have one goal, to gain power. And we know what they do with the power when they get it. We've seen it. We've seen it in the Soviet Union. We've seen it in China. We've seen it lately in, in Venezuela. We know exactly what happens when they gain power. Number one, they never give it back unless they are violently confronted. And number two, they control every aspect of your life whenever they can. They need power, and to gain power in this country, they must divide and divide and divide and divide and divide. And the only way they can divide us right now, that they've tried it on socioeconomic planes, they've tried it on gender planes, they've tried to divide us in every possible way in this country. You know, hate the rich, eat the rich, despise the rich, be jealous of the rich, cover your neighbor's ox. It's amazing how many of the commandments they break on a daily basis if you look through at that prism. Now they've decided that the, the greatest way to divide us, it's not recent, but it's certainly been rejuvenated, is dividing us on race. That's why cities stood down and allowed these riots to take place last summer. Stand down, let them blow off steam, let them burn. Oh, they're fiery but mostly peaceful, these protests. And the American people sit back and they watch buildings burn, they watch their stores get looted, they watch people get injured and even killed in their streets. In the name of justice, this warped, perverted view of justice. And they're meant to believe, well, this is really all about Donald Trump. This is really all about the alt-right. This is really all about the Proud Boys. This is really all about the Republican Party and the conservative movement. They must be stopped. And if Kyle Rittenhouse can be the symbol of that, well, facts be damned. 
So the only verdict that they really care about is the verdict that happened in Kenosha on Friday because they want you to believe that this only happened, that he only was found not guilty because he was a white man. So what happened in Georgia today? We had three white men who were accused of murdering Ahmoud Aubrey in 2020, once again, had to put this up there as an example of white supremacy from the Trump administration and all those crazy right-wing Republicans. Hey, didn't Georgia go with Joe Biden? Didn't Wisconsin go for Joe Biden? They're so racist over there. Why are they voting for for Joe? It's all a lie. And leading up to the moment the verdict was read, all you heard from CNN and MSNBC, and yes, even some people over on Fox and on the broadcast networks and in the newspapers, you kept hearing them remind you, uh, well, you know, the jury is made up of 11 white people and only one black man. You know, the jury is made up of only one. You know, they're not saying that much anymore because that jury of 11 white people and one black person, they put racial animus aside. They put racial division aside. They did their job. They looked at the evidence and they came up with a guilty verdict. And you would think this would be celebrated. You would think that maybe they could be circumspect. You would think Al Sharpton could put down the bullhorn and for a moment say, hey, maybe we don't have a systemically racist judicial system. You would think Joe Biden could step up and say, maybe this isn't the racist country that I told y'all it was. Instead, he put through a statement that said, while the guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job, that alone is not enough. That alone is not enough? What do you want? It's not enough to find these murderers guilty. What the hell is he talking about? The guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job. That alone is not enough. We have the greatest judicial system in this country, all things being equal. Excuse me, in the, in, on the planet, all things being equal. If you get accused of murder, where do you want to be accused of murder? Here or in Sweden? Here or in England? Here or in China? If you're going to get arrested, I'm not saying it's perfect, but if you're going to get arrested, what country on this planet would you rather be arrested in? But the left, led by their president, whoever's writing his speeches for him, they want you angry. They want you divided. They want you going into your Thanksgiving holiday thinking that this country is racist, despite the judicial system setting aside race, looking at the facts, looking at the law, and delivering a verdict. Why do they want you so angry? Because that's their power. That's where it sits. While the guilty verdicts reflect our justice system doing its job, that alone is not enough. That is a disgraceful statement from a disgrace of a president. I've got more to say about this, and you might as well. If you do, why don't you, uh, why don't you jump in here? It's the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hey, 
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one. Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one. Mark Levin here. Uh, so great to be heard. So many cities today, uh, in, including my old hometown of Los Angeles, California, where I, I had a radio show there uh, right up until earlier this year. Cheryl is in Los Angeles and wants to jump in here. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Cheryl. Thanks for calling. Oh, thank you, Larry. Happy Thanksgiving to you and to everybody at 870 and Mark, wherever he is. The God great bless KRLA, um, you bet. Absolutely. Um, so I am, my mom is a Holocaust survivor and she's 94. She just turned 94 last week. I'm so thankful for her, for, you know, uh, everyone from the greatest generation and everybody in our military for everything Amen. they do and our law enforcement, um, you know, for keeping us safe. Um, and I'm thankful that, you know, really, I mean, I just had surgery. I'm thankful to be alive, and I have a beautiful, wonderful son and great friends and family. Amen, Cheryl. Um, and that we live in the greatest country in the world. You sure um, do. I Cheryl, what is, what is your mom's name? My mom's name is Peary, Peary Cat. Peary. God bless you, Peary. It is so great to be heard by her and you, Cheryl, out in Los Angeles, and all my friends out in Los Angeles. A hearty ahoy to everyone in L.A. Uh, Coming up, more on this president's reaction to this verdict today. Keep it here. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Plastic conservative fire. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Larry O'Cutter in for Mark Levin. Does anyone does anyone out there have any inkling as to how tempting it is to say when you're filling in for Mark Levin to say to somebody, anybody, get off the phone, you big dope. Am I has anyone ever tried no one's ever tried that, right? But it's all it's in the back of our minds every single time sitting in here. I'm so thankful on this uh, Thanksgiving Eve to be uh, talking to you and be a part of the great Mark Levin show team. 
uh, and we have the whole team here. The whole the whole A team is with us, Mr. Producer and Mr. Call Screener. Very very lucky for that. Uh, and I do. I, I just mentioned Los Angeles. I was born in Detroit, so everyone in WJR, uh, love you. Go Blue this uh, Saturday, big game. Uh, then I moved to Southern California, Orange County. So there's your your KRLA situation. Moved to New York, WABC. Uh, my brother lives in Chicago. Spent a lot of time there, WLS. I now work in DC, WMAL. I got really drunk one night in San Francisco, so that I should probably stop. The point is. I'm very much enjoying the wide reach of the Mark Levin show tonight on this 24th of November. Uh, This White House and the Democrats in general, they have one play right now. The country, thanks to this president right now, is in a very, very sorry state of affairs. It's hard to, you know, want to be upbeat. You want to have fun. You want to, you want to put a smile on people's faces despite what's going on in this country going into Thanksgiving. But I know, I know how hard it is right now. I am like you. I just had to fill up my shopping cart for my big Thanksgiving meal tomorrow. I had to make tough choices. I had to fill my tank up with gas before I went to work this morning. I have to make tough choices, too. They don't care. They literally don't care. Oh, they pretend like they care. The president yesterday opening up 50 million barrels of oil. Do you realize what a drop in the bucket that is? The Treasury Secretary, excuse me, the Energy Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, speaking of Michigan, she's asked a very basic question. Okay, you're opening up the petroleum reserves of 50 million barrels of oil. How many barrels of oil do the Americans consume every day? She didn't know. I mean, you'd think going up to the podium here for a briefing, you'd have a couple of things at your fingertips one of them would be that number to actually put into context what you're doing but they didn't because they don't care Jen Psaki two weeks ago even said listen one upside of these high gas prices is that it makes it easier for us to rationalize all our climate change proposals because that's their priority 10 months into this administration they decide they want to sell some of our petroleum oil reserves which is their for wartime it's there for if there's an embargo against us it's there for an emergency not a man-made catastrophe like this president's inflationary policies it's not going to do anything but their priority 10 months ago they could have preempted this all they had to do was do nothing When he took office in January, this president, all he had to do was do nothing. Yeah, prices would have gone up a little bit because of the recovery out of COVID-19, but not like this. All he had to do was do nothing. But what did he do? He shut down the Keystone Pipeline that carts oil from Canada through our nation to the Gulf of Mexico, where if we want to, we can use it in our refineries or we can ship it. You realize that just one president ago, In the final years of the Trump administration, just one president ago, we led the world in oil and gas production. Now we've got a man standing up there at the podium, pointing fingers across the planet at OPEC and at Russia and at oil companies in this country. He's saying they're all to blame for the prices. When just a year ago, we didn't have to worry about anybody else in the world. You never heard the last president saying, oh, we got a real problem with our oil supply and it's all Saudi Arabia's fault. No, because we've got supply here. You want to screw with us, OPEC? You want to screw with us, Russia? You want to screw with us, Venezuela and Mexico? Fine, we'll pump our own oil so we don't need you. 
All he had to do was nothing. Instead, he shut down the Keystone Pipeline, and he stopped any new oil and gas exploration in this country. Oh, but we already have the pump, so it doesn't matter. Now, you don't understand how the economy works. You don't understand how oil drilling works and the, the oil and gas industry. If they can't open up new leases for new exploration and new potential uh, uh, oil wells and new potential fracking opportunities, then they're going to have to reduce the amount that they're producing right now because they can't spread the risk across other projects. And they want to maximize profit. Oh, my gosh, how dare an oil company want to maximize profit? Well, you're thinking like a Marxist. And that's what this president did. But they don't care. If they cared, they would reverse their positions. If they cared, they wouldn't put a new vaccine mandate on people entering this country legally while they turn their back on over 2 million people crossing the border illegally this year who never had to get a vaccine. Most of them didn't even have to get tested for COVID-19. But they don't care about the people who follow the law. They care about their narrow constituencies that they have to please so they can stay in power. Do you see this through line? Do you see this common theme so far today? It's all about them staying in power. And if that means dividing us, so be it. If it means it ends up with riots in the streets over over fake trumped-up racial divisions, so be it. If it means lying about the President of the United States, the 45th President, Donald Trump, just just to divide us over race, they will do it. And we just saw it with Jen Psaki talking about the Kyle Rittenhouse thing. Steve Ducey, uh, God bless him, for Fox News there, asking the only guy in the room. You know, can I just pause for a moment here? If you're a White House correspondent and you see Steve Ducey asking these questions, which are all completely 100% legitimate questions, how disgraced are you if you don't follow up and ask something that's similar to Ducey's? Why do you sit there for CBS and NBC and ABC and AP and the Wall Street Journal and, and the Washington Post and the New York Times and the L.A. Times and all of the Detroit News, the Free Press, all of them? How do you sit there with any level of dignity and self-respect and allow one guy, just one guy, to ask tough questions? One guy to make the White House press secretary squirm? One guy actually challenges the BS that she's throwing at you? How do you sit there, go home at night, cash your check, and look in the mirror and say, Yep, yep, I have self-respect over the job I'm doing here. It's an embarrassment. And yet here we were again. Peter Deuce. And I, I want to thank a uh, hat tip, as the great one would say, to Dave Rubin, Rubin Report, because he put together a great mashup here of Jen Psaki's lie about Donald Trump. And let me just be clear, and I know that the great one says this often, and I like to say it too, uh, and that is when they lie about Donald Trump, when they say things about Donald Trump, when they attack Donald Trump, and you know that it's not true, and you know in your heart that it's not true, You have to understand something, that they're not just saying it about Donald Trump. Donald Trump to them is incidental. Their anger is not at Donald Trump. Their anger is at you. They're mad at you. How dare you not do what they wanted you to do? How dare you not vote for Hillary Clinton? The transcendent... Well, we weren't even good enough for... uh, We... How how fortunate were we that Hillary Clinton deigned to even offer herself up as president of the United States? And then you rejected her? How dare you? How dare you? They're so mad at you. They're so angry at you for not doing what they 
told you you should do, what they predicted on cable news and broadcast news for months on end that was sure to happen. They staked their reputations on it. Isn't that funny how they stake their reputations and go out there and they guarantee you that Hillary Clinton will win, and then she loses, and yet they still have jobs. Hell, they got raises, they got Pulitzer Prizes. You know, last I checked, when you stake your reputation on something and you blow it, that's a blow to your reputation. That's how this works. Maybe you shouldn't still have that gig. So when you hear Jen Psaki and you hear Rachel Medu and you hear Chris Cuomo and you hear all of these people on television and George Stephanopoulos, when they're attacking Donald Trump, it's really an attack on you because you're who they're always angry at. When they say he's racist, they're saying you're racist. You know they are. Sometimes, sometimes they even let it slip and say it right out loud. So here's Ducey. Asking Jen Psaki, when will Joe Biden apologize to Kyle Rittenhouse for calling him a white supremacist? Seems like a pretty fair question. Shocked that it took all the way down the line there in the front row to get to Deucey to ask that. I'm working for another publication, and I see a not guilty verdict for Kyle Rittenhouse. I might be the first one. I might want to beat Peter Deucey to that question. Why doesn't the CBS White House correspondent want to get that soundbite himself? Instead of letting Ducey have all the fun. Why indeed? Well, hat tip to Dave Rubin for putting together a pretty good mashup here. Take a listen. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And you had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. Racism is evil. And those who cause violence in its name are criminals and thugs including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. As he refused to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. In one voice, our nation must condemn racism, bigotry, and white supremacy. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. I, I think you get the picture. And, uh, Biden used to do this. Biden actually ran on the lie that Trump did not condemn white supremacy and racism and white nationalism in the uh, wake of the Charlottesville murder. And that's a lie, too. The whole thing was built on a lie. And it continues to be repeated over and over and over again. And it's this game, this game that goes all the way back to the 2016 election when David Duke endorsed Donald Trump. Remember this? Jake Tapper, over and over again. Will you disavow David Duke? For that? Well, forgive me if I'm wrong. And listen, I'm not, I'm not as smart as Mark Levin. I'm not, I'm not smart as Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener, for that matter. Just ask them. They will tell you. I'm sure they will tweet about it later. I, I'm not that bright, okay? But let me just pause for a minute. What control does any politician have over who supports and endorses them? Can you answer that for me? Can you, did, is there, do you have any control? If you decide you want to run for office and somebody out of the blue comes out and says, well, I support that person. What control do you have over that? Now, if you go there and beg for the endorsement, if you're Mitt Romney and you drop down on your knees and you beg Donald Trump to endorse you in 2016 like he did, or in 2012, excuse me, well, sure, then, then you got to own it, right? 
If you're a Democrat and you go like every Democrat does when they want to run for president and they go to Al Sharpton's National Action Network and kiss the ring of Al Sharpton, they kiss more than the ring, I assure you. And scrape and bow and grovel. Oh, please, Reverend Al. What is he a reverend of, by the way? He doesn't seem very reverend to me. Oh, please, Reverend Al, please give me your endorsement. I can't run for office without your endorsement. Okay, well, then there you sort of have to own all the Sharpton baggage. But does anyone ever ask Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or anybody else if they will disavow the support of Al Sharpton? And yet the game is always played. You disavow David Duke. And he did. Why did it take you so long to disavow David Duke? Will you disavow racists and clap? Well, yes, I have many times. In fact, Dave Rubin in this matchup just played it for you. How many times do you have? Well, you haven't done it this week. You haven't said it enough. And the fact that the question's even asked. The fact that the question's even asked is the game that they play to divide us along racial lines. You know, I, I live in uh, Annapolis, Maryland, actually. This is about 30 miles from D.C., from the Capitol Hill. It's basically a suburb of Washington, D.C. I go into work in Washington, D.C. every single day. But I'm in Annapolis. Annapolis, of course, is the state capital of Maryland. It's also the home of the United States Naval Academy. And uh, uh, go Navy, beat Army. And, and so I live in Annapolis, and I actually have a child who goes to the United States Naval Academy. And, and one of the things we do here, other than, you know, have a great time, you know, enjoying our child's uh, success and travails as a midshipman in the Naval Academy, is we sponsor kids. We sponsor. Sponsoring is if you live in Annapolis, you basically become sort of a, a home away from home. When the kids, when the midshipmen, we shouldn't call them kids, when these young men and women, when they have a day off or two of liberty, they can come and spend it at your house. And they just get a breather, right? They can spend the night. You can make them a home-cooked meal. It's a great experience. Love being a sponsor. I'm a sponsor of many children, many of them black, many of them uh, Asian, uh, many of them white, various races, various colors. Uh, we spend all of our time talking about what, what binds us together. You know, there's a reason why when you're in the military, you wear a uniform. Because the color of that uniform is what's important. The color of that flag that you're fighting for is what's important. The color of the blood shed by your fellow sailor and marine and soldier and airman, that's the color that matters. You know that. I'm going to have a Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow with uh, pretty much every race, every nationality represented. And we will all hold hands, and we will thank God for everything that we have in this country on the micro and macro level. And that's what this country is about. It always has been. It always will be. And you have to ask yourself tomorrow as you're giving that same level of thanks for what we have in this nation, who in this country is trying to tear it down? Who in this country wants all of you around that table to break from holding hands? and go your separate ways. Who gains power from that? You know the answer. I know what I'm grateful for, but we better fight to keep it. 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com.
Good Lord, good Lord. I haven't even hit Waukesha yet. We might, I've got to talk about Waka, Wisconsin, because uh, no one else in the media wants to. Isn't it amazing how that story disappeared? Well, it didn't disappear from our views. We'll tell you more of what we're learning about this suspect, this uh, craven murderer, in my opinion, out there in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, coming up in a bit. But uh, Steve in Jackson, why, oh boy, beautiful God's country. Steve, thanks for calling in. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Hey, love your show. Thanks. thanks for uh, doing it. Yeah. A uh, couple things is you were talking about the gas prices. Isn't it amazing you have a company that makes less money on their gas than the government does? They make yeah. more money on gas than the, you know, than the petroleum companies, and they don't do anything. That's right. They produce um, nothing. They produce nothing, but you know the gas companies make you know two to three cents. A, a gallon in the government makes what twenty or thirty cents a gallon. Yeah. Um, another thing you were talking about is, um, well, this racism is just—you know—it seemed like it was gone. Excuse me, when uh, Barack Obama was running for president, hmm. you know, it was never brought up. You know, he never brought it up. McCain never brought it up. It just wasn't a big deal until yeah. he became president. Oh, that's right, Steve. It's a great observation. That's right. He ran as the unifier in the hill, just like Biden did, by the way. And as soon as he got in, boy, we got more divided than we ever had been. It's it's funny how these unifiers, who all claim unity, once they get in power, they divide us. Food for thought. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post... Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin here on Thanksgiving Eve. Very grateful to be doing so as well. I want to hear from you, by the way. What are you grateful for at 877-381-3811? While we're at it, by the way, if you've forgotten, I mentioned this the top of the show, uh, good time to talk about what you're not grateful for, what you could do without. You know, one year from now, we will know the results of the midterm elections, where hopefully we can actually take the gavel out of the talons of that craven political monster, Nancy Pelosi, who is just bowing and scraping and bending to the will of the Marxists and her party so she can hang on to par- power. Well, we might be able to rectify that situation, and we'll know one year from now what needs to get done between now and then to deliver the message that we can do better in this country. And how do we deliver that message exactly? I have a motto uh, as a talk radio host. I've been at this for about 10 years now. I uh, do mornings on WMAL in Washington, D.C. It's the uh, the powerhouse station for Mark Levin in the Mid-Atlantic covering from Virginia and Maryland and D.C. up to Pennsylvania and to West Virginia and, of course, all over the map on the internet uh and 
my motto has always been what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the White House. Let me explain. We, we get obsessed by what's going on every four years in the presidential election. We don't even pay attention to some of the other elections that go on in this country. The people, people know every minute detail of a presidential election because that's all the media focuses on and we get obsessed with it we watch it like it's espn and sports although frankly these days espn is more political than cable news we watch it and we get obsessed with every nuance and every little minor detail in a presidential election but most voters can't tell me who their state senator is oh hell a lot of voters can't tell me who their governor is and what about your school board members let me ask you something. Over the past year, if you have children in the government-run schools in this country, who do you think really affected their lives more? Donald Trump or Joe Biden as president? Or your local school board members? I think you know the answer to that question. And what we saw in Virginia with the election of Glenn Youngkin, the first Republican elected statewide since 2009, was exactly the power and organization and political message that we need to spread far and wide between now and Election Day next year. Stop worrying about who's sitting in the Oval Office. Does it matter? Of course it matters. But right now, what matters more? How do you win this country? By changing the president and then everything gets fixed? Come on. You're smarter than that. You know better. You know your founders. The founders didn't want that. You think James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and Thomas Jefferson wanted us to wring our hands and worry about who would sit in the White House every four years? Our entire country was built on the premise of divesting power from the federal government in the nation's capital. The most important decisions that happen in our lives should be made at the local level, and there's nothing more local than school boards. Fix your house, fix your neighborhood, fix your community, fix your town, fix your county, fix your school district. That's how you change a country. I've got more to say about that coming up in a little bit, but, but that's what we need to focus on right now. That's, that's where the real power is going to be changed in this nation. What do you think? 877-381-3811. I mentioned the economy, and let's face it, you've got empty shelves when you go to the grocery store right now. You're going Christmas shopping, and you have empty shelves. You've got things that have been on back order for months, and you've got an inflation rate at 6.2% right now. And this White House, this party in charge, they have not a clue what to do about it. In fact, their only solution is to keep printing more money that they don't have to the tune of over, what, two, three trillion dollars is the next plan they want, which actually causes more inflation. But Rob in Cleveland, Ohio disagrees with me. So of course, Rob, I want to hear from you. Rob, come on in here. Thanks for calling. I'm Larry O'Connor. You're on Mark Levin. Larry, how are you, bud? Good, man. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, I, I, happy Thanksgiving to you. <clears throat> I call into these shows a lot. I'm, I, I go by liberal Rob. I'm, I'm very um, left-leaning on things when it comes to social, but fiscally I'm conservative. Okay. My, the, every time that I hear somebody filling in, or even Mark Levin, everything's so dramatic, and everything that's wrong with the world is it's the leftists, it's the Democrats. They're trying, like, the comment you made about, you know, they don't want you to have Thanksgiving and hold hands. Like, do we have to get that? kind of i guess straw man fallacy do we have to get that kind of you know um dramatic with it to i mean is it something that i mean you've already won over 99 percent of your 
you know, your listeners. Mm-hmm. You're almost like kind of barking up the tree, you know, yeah. preaching to the choir. Hey, uh, well, Rob, I'm, I'm going to let you finish, but just just so you know, it, it, do you know The Atlantic? Do you, are you familiar with the magazine The Atlantic? I heard of it. I don't know. What well, the, the Atlantic is considered like the 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 um, gold standard for liberal thought in this country. It's they've got all the smartest journalists. It's a big uh, the, full of think pieces. Uh, it drives the intellectual left in this country. And then, frankly, there's a lot of my friends who are on the right who read it and respect the ideas that are in there. Uh, this is a headline. This is an article uh, that just published today in the Atlantic. The headline is "Deprogram Your Relatives This Thanksgiving." Subheadline: Maybe you'll change a heart or a mind, or maybe you'll need to report a relative to the FBI. Now, now, Rob, I understand you want to call in and say, oh, you right-wing radio host, you're all full of hyperbole and you're angry and you're sad. But do you see what I mean when I say that they don't actually want us to have a harmonious yeah. Thanksgiving? Do you remember how Barack Obama wanted kids to go back and start lecturing their parents about politics at the Thanksgiving table? Uh, I'm sorry, do you ever write to liberal writers and columnists and journalists to say, are you ready to call Molly Jong fast, who's the writer at The Atlantic, and, and lecture her the way you're trying to lecture me? But of course, of course, she won't give you a phone number yeah, or take your choose. phone call. We, we choose to be able to read those things. The, the, those are opinion pieces. And you choose so, to tune in to listen to the program, but you chose to call me and lecture me about it. This isn't happening in a vacuum, Rob, I assure you. Okay, supply and demand from your gas statement, by the way. this The fact that presidents do not set gas prices, yes, they have an effect on things, but you make it sound like Joe Biden called up you know, all the Democrats and said, listen, we got to vote to raise gas prices. That's not how life works. I, I, I didn't say, did I say that? No, no, no. You're right, supply and demand. So tell me something. When the president came into office and in his first week he signed an executive order that stopped all new oil exploration and drilling in this country, how does that affect supply or demand, Rob? How does it affect it? Of course it affects it. Not to the level where you're making it sound like the only reason why. And the Keystone Pipeline was closed. We don't feel those effects right away. What, but do way. you think that the industry takes into account the fact that that pipeline is not going to be functioning the way that they expected it to, and then they have to make provisions and changes because of it? Do you think they take into account on a global factor that instead of that oil coming down to the U.S. Gulf so that it could hit our refineries, it's instead going to go to China and it's going to affect the global market from that direction? You don't think that has an effect? It absolutely does. And you don't think the pandemic has an effect with supply and demand and coming out of this? Oh so, oh, so coming out of it has raised the gas prices to the level that it's almost twice as much? Rob, let me ask you something. If you don't think the president has any effect on the gas and oil prices, then why did he just open up this petroleum oil reserves for 50 million gallons? Is that theater? Hang up. Before you hang up. Do you realize... Wait, no, no, don't say before I hang up. I'm asking you a question. I love this. Don't hang up on me. I'm nowhere near hanging up on you. Are you kidding me? This is a critically important conversation because I have a feeling that, Rob, you're going to be replicated at a lot of Thanksgiving dinner tables tomorrow, and people need to know how to respond to you. So let me ask you something. If you don't think the president has anything to do with the gas prices, then what the hell was he doing opening up our petroleum reserves yesterday? Or do you think that that was all theater that has no impact? No, it absolutely has, a, I said, a small impact. And if you stop at the self-righteousness, you may be able to get through this Thanksgiving without coming across as sounding like a pretentious kind of a dork. So my suggestion... Hey, Rob, no, 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 no. See, because now, Rob, I will hang up on you. 
And that's a great example. Rob, I do appreciate the call. Who knew that Senator Rob Portman of Ohio listens to the show? Uh, I'm just kidding. Senator Portman's just fine. See, but there you go. So, so every single thing Rob brought to the table, I challenged him with facts. And I actually gave him sources for everything that I had said, everything that he accused me of. And when he found it impossible to respond and retort, ultimately, first he tried to change the subject. You know, he said, how dare, why would you say that liberals don't want you to hold hands and be unified at Thanksgiving? Okay, well, I just read you the article in The Atlantic that was published today where the headline was about deprogramming the people, uh, your relatives, and maybe you might have to call the FBI on them. That's on The Atlantic today. And instead of responding to that, instead of saying, oh, okay, Larry, you know what, I see your point. You know, there probably are some lunatics on the left who are, who are extolling that. Although, of course, this lunatic has a byline at the Atlantic, which is the gold standard of liberal thought in this country. But instead of acknowledging, saying, oh, okay, Larry, well, you, already, you make a point. No, then he just changes the subject without responding at all. And then when I respond to what he said about gas prices and oil prices, oh, the president doesn't have anything to do with it. Oh, well, if the president doesn't have anything to do with it, why did he open up the petroleum oil reserves? He's clearly acting like he has something to do with it. And then when he never responds to that, the only thing he could do is call me a dork, a self-righteous dork, because that's what's happened. When you run out of arguments and run out of facts and you run out of ways to make a point that is irrelevant and has no basis in facts, then you start calling people names. And yes, you're going to be ready for your Thanksgiving dinner now. That's what it's going to look like. Thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. You know what? Let's continue along this vein. Are you planning on having a political conversation at your Thanksgiving dinner table tomorrow? Let me ask you something, because this is important to me. It really is. I try not to talk about politics at Thanksgiving. I've been in a lot of the family that I, you know, uh, most of my family gatherings right now, for the most part, and this isn't from self-selection. It just happens this way. I'm, I'm usually uh, in the majority in terms of political thought at the table. But it hasn't always been that way. There have been times when I'm the only one at my Thanksgiving table that has my opinion. But I can tell you, and I'm not joking, this is not hyperbole. Every single Thanksgiving in my life where politics is brought up, it's always someone from the left. It is always someone from like, I'm sitting down at my Thanksgiving dinner table tomorrow. The last thing I want to do is talk about politics. It's Thanksgiving. We're, we're thanking the Lord. We're bonding uh, 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 across racial and ideological lines and finding out what we have in common, our patriotism, our love for this nation, our gratitude to God or whoever you worship that you believe you deserve some thanks to. But see, that's the point for so many on the left their religion is secular politics so while we're focusing on god and being thankful to the lord for our blessings they demand that we are thankful to the government because none of this would happen without the all-encompassing bureaucracy granting it to be so maybe that's why liberals are the ones to bring politics up well are, are you expecting that to happen and are you ready for it or you have a rule in your house no politics it's thanksgiving we got to eat our turkey, enjoy our pie, and then, as is the annual tradition, watch the Lions lose. 
What do you expect to happen at your Thanksgiving table? I want to hear from you. Uh, your reflection on that conversation with Rob, as I do believe it is indicative of what you might have to experience tomorrow around your table. How are you going to handle it? Or do you have a rule on these things? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor on this Thanksgiving Eve, and you're listening to The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. It's Larry O'Connor filling in for Mark Levin here on this Thanksgiving Eve, 877-381-3811. I, I am inspired by that exchange with Rob. And I do it's funny, I got a text message from a friend who lives, I, I'm on in mornings on WMAO in Washington, D.C. He's like, Larry, you really uh, sort of lit that guy up. And you were, because it's not my style. I mean, I, and, and by the way, I hope, I hope there was nothing disrespectful there. I don't call people names. Rob called me names. You know, I let people finish. I don't cut them off. I don't hang up on them. I do love that move, by the way, from liberal Rob. It's like, well, before you hang up on me, dude, I'm not hanging up on you. Go, go, go. See, but, but this is the attitude and approach that people take often, and especially as we approach Thanksgiving, because since the Obama era, the people have been compelled to get in your face about your politics. And yeah, you, you listen, you're loving, you're respectful, you're gracious. But you got to draw a line and you got to stand up for yourself and you got to speak your mind. And I wonder how you're going to uh, approach this at your Thanksgiving table. Will it be like my conversation with Rob? Respectful right up until the point where he calls me names. <laughs> how about Jenna in Lewiston, Idaho? Jenna, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Hi, Jenna. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi. You bet. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Um, so a tradition that we do in my family is for Thanksgiving is my mom always reads the uh, Thanksgiving proclamation. Mm -hmm. And then we have a, a nice family discussion about what's going on in the, in the world. Oh, really? Wow. So, oh, wait. So, you, so first you start with George Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation, which is beautiful. And I love that. And then, and then you, I love mom's move there. So, mom reads the proclamation and then sets it aside and said, now let's talk about Biden. <laughs> is that how it works? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and is there a disagreement? Uh, sometimes. All right. So, what so, do you, now are you going to, are you going to raise any issues, Jenna, this, this time around? What are you going to bring up? Oh, there's tons of stuff I could bring up, pretty yeah. much like the Keystone Pipeline and, you know, the gas prices. Yeah. So. yeah. And, and and you can start with inflation, too. Jenna, God bless you. Thank you for jumping in here. I bet you're going to have a beautiful Thanksgiving in Idaho. Uh, enjoy it, please. And thank you for being a part of the Mark Levin Show today. Um, yeah, yeah, inflation should be a big conversation. Who wants to talk about inflation at Thanksgiving? Well, trust me, whoever's whoever supplied your table with that incredible feast you're about to have, they know all about inflation. I assure you. Uh, and, and I think it's worth raising, especially for people who think, oh, hey, we're just in a recovery. Everything's fine. You know, if you've got the carbon copy of Jen Psaki sitting at your Thanksgiving table, you know, say, listen, let, let's do a little math. And don't worry, it's not going to be over your head. This is going to be real simple. The inflation rate this last quarter, 6.2% is the inflation rate. Wages have gone up year over year by a whopping 
0.7%. Here's the math. Everything costs over 5% more than it did last time around. And there's no real economic reason other than bad stewardship from Washington, D.C. 877-381-3811. Let's keep the calls going. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin. Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Prices have gone up. And families and individuals are dealing with the realities of, of the, that bread costs more, that gas costs more. <laughs> That's your Vice President Kamala Harris there. Uh, did answering a question about inflation. And boy, yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with that kind of leadership. Prices have gone up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one. Mark Levin here on the Thanksgiving EP. I, I always quarrel with people who say, you know, Biden's stupid. Biden's stupid. But now, actually, Biden may be uh, the most maniacally smart politician we've seen in some time because he picked her. I mean, you think about it. Clearly, the man doesn't have his faculties. He just turned 79 years old. He can barely put together a coherent sentence because God knows what's going on in that addled brain of his. I, and I, I, there's no, I'm sorry, there's no possible way he's running for re-election in 24. And people are already sort of like, you know, it, it's like, what's the old uh, Chris Rock joke when he would go into the neighborhoods and people would pick up their phones and dial 9-1 and then just wait? Right. I, people are just they're, they're they're sitting there with their hand on the 25th Amendment button, just waiting to push it because because he's so close to just completely losing it in front of all of us. And yet the one thing that is looming there, the one major decision Joe Biden made before he was elected anything, they always say the the first most important decision a future president makes is who his running mate is going to be, who will be the vice president and who does he pick? Prices have gone up and families and individuals are dealing with the realities of, of the, that bread costs more, that gas costs more. She is the greatest presidential insurance policy of all time. This is, I'm sorry, it was a brilliant move. You know, all the, all the uh, elder statesmen of the of the the Democratic Party, you're saying, "Oh, this is embarrassing. This is terrible. He can't he can't respond to questions. He can barely get himself from the podium back and forth. He doesn't know where he is half the time. He's reading from the teleprompter like like Ron Burgundy. Did you see this one? A lot of innovation because of the actions we've taken. Things have begun to change. End of quote. In the past three weeks. End of quote. I'm Ron Burgundy. He doesn't know where he is half the time. So, you know, all the older states are like, oh, we got to do something about this. This is bad. This is wrong. His finger's on the button. we got to And then, as they're about to push that 25th Amendment button, they stop and see who's waiting. Who's waiting to jump in and take over. Prices have gone up. It's brilliant. This is a brilliant, it's the most brilliant. There's no way they're getting rid of Joe Biden. Joe Biden could murder someone on Fifth Avenue. Shoot him in the back dead, and people will still want to keep him in office because they know what the alternative is. God bless him. But she is right about one thing. Prices 
have gone up? Quite a bit, 6.2% on average, for a lot of things even more so, especially the things on your Thanksgiving table. Uh, and wages have only gone up less than 1% year over year. So inflation's up 6.2% over the year. Your wages, if you're lucky, went up by uh, less than 1%. Oh, if you're on Social Security, though, they make a big deal out of this. People on Social Security got a cost of living increase of 5.7%. Well, excuse me, pal, but if inflation's up 6.2% and the cost of living increase in Social Security was 5.7%, I'm still losing money. I'm still losing money. And they don't care. Oh, no, 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 they're working really hard. They really, they do care. They do care. Oh, really? Here's Peter Ducey asking Jen Psaki about the optics of Joe Biden going to Nantucket for Thanksgiving with one of the richest people in the country while families are struggling to get a Stouffer's meal on their table. What message does it send to the middle class Americans President Biden says that he's trying to help who are struggling this week to cover the cost of the most expensive Thanksgiving ever that the president is going to take a few days off at a billionaire's compound in Nantucket? Well, first I would say, I don't know if you've cooked a turkey before, but a 20-pound turkey is a pretty big turkey. I think we can all agree. They're about $1 more. Eh, it's only $1. What are you complaining about? Go eat your turkey and stop bitching at us, okay? Come on, you ungrateful Americans. People, people take issue with me saying they don't care. Does that sound like somebody who cares? Did that sound to you like somebody who deeply cares about the increase in inflation and the increase of costs? It the most expensive Thanksgiving in American history. At a billionaire's compound in Nantucket. Well, first I would say, I don't know if you've cooked a turkey before, but a 20-pound turkey is a pretty big turkey. I think we can all agree. They're about $1 more. That's only a dollar more. Deal with it. They don't care. So if you are going to talk about politics at the table, if somebody wants to bring up something about politics, oh, thank God we don't have the mean tweets anymore, you might want to raise inflation. You might just want to bring that up and say, any solutions here? Any plans? Because if, if your only solution is print more money, which seems to be the only plan, print more money and spend money we don't have, you might want to look up the basic economic principles about how we get inflation in the first place. Joseph, Staten Island, listening on the uh, mighty WABC. Hey, Joseph, happy Thanksgiving. Thanks for calling. Happy Thanksgiving, buddy. Thank you. My pleasure. Pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, you hit the nail on the head, actually, what you just said. Um, you know, everyone's complaining about inflation, inflation, and that last caller who called your name, it was like nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> Um, people fail to realize that you know the Democratic Party. They, and I don't mean to sound mean, they exploit the economic illiteracy of their voting base and you know the masses. Uh, this price inflation is due to monetary inflation. When you constantly pump money into the economy and increase the money supply, you obviously artificially you know create a surge in demand, and yeah. as a result, prices uh, increase. And it's just like no one talks about this. And another thing um, with the the Biden doesn't control uh, gas prices slogan. When the president of the United States gets on a podium and wages a war on the energy industry, our energy sector, producers are going to hold back. Nobody knows what to do. They can't really invest because they don't know what the next moves of this administration is going to be. So, yeah, the president, president has a, plays a major role in what's going on right now. And, and also, not to mention what you touched on earlier about canceling the pipeline and 
you know, uh, the leasing on federal lands in Alaska and, and, and so on and so forth. Yep. This guy is waging a war on our energy sector, and it's, it's yep. just terrible. You're, Joseph, you're absolutely right. And by, by the way, I'll add to it, but first I'll, I'll say thank you for the call and, and the wise words and tell everyone in, in fantastic Staten Island, the, 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 the little conservative bastion of New York City, tell everyone we uh, sent their, our love to them. We do, we do love our friends in Staten Island. Uh, I'll add one more to it. He also tinkered with the global supply and demand ratios on the oil industry by boosting Vladimir Putin and the Russians. Oh, yeah, people forget about that. During the Trump administration, oh, remember how Trump was Putin's puppet? Remember how, oh, yeah, oh, Trump is Putin's puppet, but they've got compromise. They've got compromise on Trump. He's going to do whatever Putin says. Tr- Donald Trump was Vladimir Putin's worst enemy. Oh, he said nice things about him over in Finland or wherever. So what? Look at what he actually did. He harmed he armed the individuals in Ukraine who were ready and poised at the border to actually fight against a military incursion from Vladimir Putin. He told the Russians that if you cross this border, you will deal with us. And then he put pressure on Germany and other countries in Europe to not take gas and oil from Russia in the pipeline that Germany and Russia were begging them to build. Oh, yeah, he shut down our North American pipeline, Biden did. But as soon as he got into office, he reversed Trump's position on the Russian pipeline that supplied gas and oil to Western Europe. And so now that allows Russia to be an even bigger player in the global oil market than they were back during the Trump administration. And oil is pretty much the top 10 ways that Russia makes money globally. They, their economy is a complete kleptocracy. It, it, is, it is a basket case, if not for the fact that they can produce oil, drill oil, ship oil, sell oil, distribute oil. That, that's the one thing they can do. And so now you give them access to Western Europe by okaying the pipeline that Trump put a halt to and used his diplomatic influence and pressure on Germany to say no to. As soon as Trump's gone, Biden gets in there and says, absolutely, take all the Russian oil you want. You're not Vladimir Putin. You're now a bigger player on the global oil scene. And oh, by the way, one of your major competitors, the country that had been the biggest oil producer in the world, decides that they're going to stop drilling, stop exploration, and, and reduce their presence in the global oil market, what are you going to do if you're Vladimir Putin? Well, yeah, you're going to mess around. You say, yeah, okay, you know, we're going to deliver a few uh, million gallons less, less today than we did yesterday. That tightens things up. It raises the price of oil globally. And now, since oil is the number one thing you care about if you're Vladimir Putin and if you're Russia, and you're making, you know, a trillion dollars last year, well, now if you can reduce your supply a little bit and jack the prices up, maybe 10%, well, now you're making $1.1 trillion without literally doing anything. And Joe Biden ceded that control. For the last year, we have ceded that control, and we have allowed foreign adversaries to jerk around with the global price of oil because we have taken ourselves out of the game. And instead of the world's biggest supplier, we remain merely the world's biggest consumer of the product. And who pays for it all? You pay for it all. And when you challenge and you say, why are we doing this? Why can't you fix it? What's Jen Psaki's answer? Well, it does rationalize all of our new green energy and alternative fuel propositions. 
In other words, eh, you know, it's part of the plan. Man, you're going to feel a little pain right now, but hey, your turkey only costs a dollar more. Live with it. Are you ready for these conversations at your Thanksgiving table tomorrow? 877-381-3811. How about Fred in Huntsville, Alabama? Fred, I've got guests at my house from the Huntsville area. They drove up here over the last uh, day. They're staying in my house because they're family members of a midshipman at the uh, at the Naval Academy. They're staying with me, and, and so uh, good to hear from you in Alabama. Roger, thanks for taking my call, sir. Um, the first thing uh, I got to say when you said uh, go Navy, beat Army, I, I have to disagree with that wholeheartedly. As a, uh, I've been in the Army for 20 years now, come August. So you, you were wrong. That's well, sir, th- th- thank you for your service. Army. I am merely talking about the football game, and passions do run do run deep here, but uh, I understand your position. Oh, I- Roger. Uh, yeah, they, they, they get pretty deep in my household. In fact, my uh, oldest son just in, uh, enlisted in the Army yesterday. Oh, so congratulations. Uh, look at you. Look at what I can hear the proud dad there. Now, what, would it have been a problem if he went Marines or, uh, or God forbid, Air Force? Uh, no, I, I was pretty adamant about trying to stay out of the process as much as possible because I didn't want to pressure him into doing anything. And he, I signed my contract 20 years ago. This was his turn to, to choose his contract. So, that is great. Uh, but I'm super stoked that he, he decided to, to join the Army. That's fantastic. Um, Anything but anything but Marines, I'm just saying. Anything but Marines. I knew there was one of them. Either Marines or Air Force. By the way, when I say God forbid Air Force, you know I'm, I, I, I only know that the passions run deep. That's all. I'm reflecting other people's, not mine. All right, go ahead. Keep going, Fred. What else you got? Roger, but the, the thing that I, I wanted to bring up, and it's I, I hear it all the time, is when people talk about systemic racism, and it just it drives me insane because – there is racism in our country, not on the scale that some would like you to believe there is, but there is racism in the country. But they tend to get that confused with systemic racism, which, you know, and, and I'm not the smartest guy on the planet. The only time I'm the smartest guy in the room is when I'm in a room by myself, and even that is questionable. But systemic racism is <laughs> when there are, are laws and rules on the books that says, hey, you, you know, this person is going to get this sentence. This person is going to catch these charges because of the skin, their skin color or background or ethnicity or religion or whatever the case may be. Um, yeah. Where, whereas racism is just the individual acting in a racist manner. Right. You know, there, there, there are people in power who can, in fact, make racist decisions, but that doesn't make it systemic. That just means that they abuse their power to unduly affect influence on whatever process is, is involved. Yep. So it, it just drives me up the wall when they're always like, see, that's systemic racism, that's systemic. It's like, no, that, what you know, depending, no, that's racist, but that doesn't mean the system is racist. That's that just right. means that person was racist. That's right. Systems aren't racist, but people can be racist, absolutely, and there are racists, and racists can use the system to meet their racist ends, but that doesn't mean you call the system racist. But Fred, and Fred, thank you for the insight, because I'll I'll wrap it up with this. Thank you for your service and your call. Fred, the reason they say that the system is racist is very simple, if you think about it. How do you fix a systemically racist country? How do you fix a racist system? Well, obviously, 
you got to tear down the system. And, and, and that's their goal across the board. They want to tear down the economic system. They've already torn down and rebuilt in their own socialist Marxist model our academic system in this country. And they want to, if, if we have a systemically racist judicial system and systemically racist government, the only remedy is to tear it all up. That's why they attack the number of seats on the Supreme Court. That's why they uh, want to attack the Electoral College. That's why they want to attack the number of senators per state. That's why they want to attack all of these things that are built into our Constitution and built into our system that we love so much and take such great pride in that has kept us so free and just for over 230 years. They call it racist because they want to tear it apart. And that's the fight we're in. And we'll keep fighting. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin on the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. We have uh, finished things up here uh, for a minute in this fine, uh, second hour of the Mark Levin Show. Uh, if you're on the line, we want to get more of your calls. But Jim in Waynesville, Georgia, I want to hear from you, Jim. Uh, thanks for joining in. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hey, Jim. Hey, Larry. Uh, appreciate you taking my call, man. Uh, Air Force veteran, so if you want to go ahead and hang up on me, go oh, ahead and Oh, no. I knew uh, when I said that. <laughs> I, you know how you guys joke around. <laughs> You know you were going to get that sooner or later. Yes, I did. Uh, I just want to share. I just want to share uh, our family's Thanksgiving uh, arrangements with you. Uh, generally, we don't discuss politics at the table, but after dinner, uh, the men get around and we have a little cigar group. And, nice. Uh, that's where the politics is discussed. And. Uh, I'm not only conservative, and my family is, you know, very conservative, but I'm also a pastor, uh-huh. a minister of God, and I have found myself uh, having to take the position of mediator uh, recently because things have become so divided. I believe it. I believe it. Jim, we got to leave it there. Thank you, Reverend, though, and good luck tomorrow. Hopefully it won't get too ugly, and we'll remember what we're thankful for. Broadcasting them from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. 877-381-3811, that's how you reach the Mark Levin Show. Today you'll hear from me, though, Larry O'Connor sitting in for Mark Levin. I do mornings on WMAL in Washington, D.C. That's Mark Levin's morning show. I, he, I wake up uh, to, well, no, let me rephrase that. Mark Levin wakes up with me. Oh, yeah, there, there you go. Not, not a lot of people in the business can say that. <laughs> Mark Levin wakes up with me. Uh, and, uh, and I love Mark. I love Mark and Julie so much and uh, honored to be a part of the program on this Thanksgiving Eve. Eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. By the way, uh, you got to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday, eight p.m. Good Lord, it's part one of the Trump interview. 
you want to see this uh, great interview, uh, two big, huge personalities. And a lot of news was made, actually, in this interview. So you should watch that. It's this Sunday on Fox, part one of the Trump interview. And, of course, uh, you know, Black Friday is coming the day after tomorrow, right? That's when you're supposed to check off all the boxes on your shopping list. And you know there are people in your life that need to read American Marxism. Uh, it's a great book. It's, it's, the, it's the book to define the era that we're living in right now. I'm drawing off of it as we speak for the first two hours here. Many of the things that I've raised and brought up about how we, uh, there's an intent to divide and change and deconstruct this nation. It's right there in American Marxism, and more importantly, in his final chapter, and it's epic. That final chapter could be a book in and of itself. It talks about where we go from here and what we can do about it. That's what I love about Mark Levin. It's what I live, love about what we do in talk radio. It's what I love about what we're able to achieve in talk radio. I know that there are a lot of stereotypes about what we do here. But ultimately, talk radio, when it's done right, and listen, there's, there's, sadly, there's some, there's some mediocre talk radio out there, I'll be honest with you. There is. There is. The backbenchers. Uh, there, there are some people who exploit this medium. And they play into the stereotype. And there's just a lot of yelling and named calling. And, and, and listen, I, listen, you're going to call names sometimes, and it's fun, and it makes you laugh, and it makes you giggle. And there's, there's a smart way of name calling, and then there's just a moronic way of name calling. You know, feminazis, pretty, pretty freaking brilliant. From the master, Rush Limbaugh, rest in peace. There's some others out there. You know, it's just, I understand it's cathartic, and I get all of that. You know, ultimately, if we're doing it right here in talk radio, ultimately, you're smarter by the end of the day. You're empowered with facts and ideas at the end of the day. You're motivated to actually take all of this information, take all of the news that's going on in the world today, and then feel empowered to actually make a difference actually do something about it that's what i love about mark's book american marxism is what i love about his show every day he said he's an advocate he's an activist this is what he does this because he loves this nation anybody who does it right is doing it because we love this nation but you need to know how you can take all of this and make a difference and change things and, and i go back to the motto of this program this is what i want to talk to you about at 877-381-3811 is uh, what are you going to do in the next year? You know, we're coming up on the New Year's resolution time. And, and by the way, I, I'm fortunate enough to be, uh, I think you'll, you'll hear from me over the holidays coming up next month as well. And we'll talk about this a little bit more as we get closer to New Year's. But, but I'm sort of looking at this one-year window right now. Forget about New Year's resolutions for a minute. Let's look at where we are right now. One year from now, we will know what happened in these midterm elections. We will know who the majority party will be in the House of Representatives and in the Senate. And now is the time to actually start putting ideas and plans into action so that we can remove that gavel from the, the claw-like talons of Nancy Pelosi and put her into retirement once and for all where she belongs. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And it brings me back to the motto that I like to carry with me whenever I, I have the privilege of talking to you or, frankly, the privilege to talk to any audience, whether it's my uh, audience in Washington, D.C., on WMAL or, or wherever I've ever been in this great medium. And that is, 
what happens in your house is more important than what happens in the White House. We get exercised about who sits in the Oval Office. We get exercised every four years about who lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Sometimes we're so focused on it, we lose sight of what's going on in our own home with our own children in their schools and their curriculum. Do you look at your kids' school books? Do you engage with your teacher about the curriculum? Do you engage with your local school boards? If we all focused on raising our children right and raising them within the friendly confines of the liberty and freedom and ideas that kept this country as strong as it has been for these low these 200 plus years and protected them from the onslaught that they're getting from the government-run schools, what a difference that would make. Let me ask you something. Look at the Commonwealth of Virginia. We're going into that. If you really want, if you're, if the, if your main focus is who's going to be the next president of the United States. If that's all you care about, uh, is Trump going to run? If he runs, he's got to be Biden. Is Biden going to win? Is it going to be Kamala? Are they going to get rid of her and put in Pete Buttigieg? All these things. If, if your main focus is who's going to be the president of the United States, let me ask you something. Do you think Glenn Youngkin and the Republican sweep that we just saw in the Commonwealth of Virginia three weeks ago, do you think that improves the chances for a Republican to win the Electoral College votes in Virginia versus should Terry McAuliffe had won? Do you think maybe moving this state, the state of Virginia, into the red column with regard to its governorship and its statewide leadership at Lieutenant Governor and Attorney General do you think that that maybe moves Virginia a little closer to being in play and being a purple state? Do you think that Governor Ron DeSantis winning a very close election three years ago in Florida, do you think that helped move Florida more solidly into the red column? Do you think that his policies and the way he's governing in Florida moves it even further into the red column where maybe when we get to 24 Florida might not even be the toss-up state that it has been. Maybe whoever the Republican nominee is won't even have to focus as much energy and time and money as they have in years past in Florida because DeSantis and the Republican Party has done such a good job in that state that it's more solid a Republican state than it would have been. Do you see what I'm saying? Do you see how these local elections actually help put together that puzzle that gives you your electoral college map? You've got to see that. So, of course, having Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, win in Virginia, that means I'm thinking the Democrat, whoever the Democrat nominee is in 24, they're going to have to spend some time and money in Virginia. Last couple of times, it's been a slam dunk. It's been a no-brainer. Now, well, maybe it's in play. Don't you think it's a good thing that Ohio and Florida have hardly been in play at all in recent years so that the Republican nominee can spend money in Wisconsin and in Michigan and Pennsylvania and other states that used to be out of reach? So let's take it as a given that a Republican winning statewide in Virginia is a really good thing if all you care about is the presidency. If all you care about is the presidency, then at least you should concede that, uh, you know, the way you put together a presidential win is by putting enough states together that wins the Electoral College. You know that. You're smart enough. You watch Schoolhouse Rock, and you're not a Democrat. All right. So let's concede that point. Yes, 
the state elections for governor are important if we're going to win the White House. Because I know you watch cable news, and so all that matters is the White House. All right, so now we've added governor's races. Now, how did Glenn Youngkin win the governor's race? Well, a huge part of it, you know, was what played out in school board meetings in Northern Virginia, in Loudoun County, Virginia, in Fairfax County, Virginia. Counties where the Democrat usually wins by 30, 40 points. That's where they get all their votes. It's the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Democrat rich, Democrat heavy, this is where they get their votes. Last time around, I think, going off the top of my head, but but I covered this race at WMAL in Washington, D.C., because D.C., of course, as you know, again, you're smart. You're not a Democrat. You recognize that D.C. is uh, made up of part of Southern Maryland and part of, well, not Southern, but a part of Maryland and part of Northern Virginia. That's what made the district. So if I'm in D.C., it means I'm talking to Maryland and Northern Virginia. So I, I covered this stuff. This was my local story. But, of course, as you saw, it wasn't very local, was it? Pretty, pretty much an international story, what went on in this governor's race. And specifically, suddenly we had school board meetings in a suburb of Washington, D.C., making international news. See, just like all politics is local, all really good talk radio is local, too. So there's that local story who's getting nation, uh, international coverage. And you look at those school board meetings in Loudoun County and Fairfax County, and you saw parents who they, didn't, they don't care about Republican and Democrat when it comes to their kids. When it comes to keeping their kids out of school, because the Democrats who run those school systems and the State Board of Education were so beholden to the National Teachers Union. So your kids are learning on your kitchen table on a laptop, and suddenly you can hear what's being taught, and you recognize how divisive and insidiously Marxist the curriculum is. How in the hell did that happen? So you start asking questions at your school board meeting, and now suddenly you're a domestic terrorist. And none of this has to do with Democrat or Republican. This has to do with your kids and your voice. And if they think you don't have a right to have a voice at your local school board meeting, how in the hell do you think you're going to have a voice with your governor or your president or your Congress or your Senate? The message is loud and clear. You don't matter. Your voice doesn't matter. You don't have a say in anything that goes on. Because if you don't have a say in your child's curriculum at your school board meeting, you certainly don't have a say in your tax policy at the IRS and in the federal government. They don't care about you. That's the message. And so the Republican nominee in Virginia, well, well, he focused on that. He saw what was going on. He reached out to the parents who were angry at these school board meetings. He said, tell me what's going on. And he said, this is wrong. This is the problem with government. And he said, I will be your voice. You put me in there. And Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat nominee in Virginia, he said the worst possible thing in the world. He said, you're damn right you don't have a voice. You're damn right you don't have a say in how your kids are being taught. So the choice was clear. Do you want a governor, the Democrat, Terry McAuliffe, who's part of the machine who's beholden to the teachers' union, who literally says, you mom, you dad, you don't have any business saying how your kids are being taught. Your kids are ours when you hand them off to the government-run schools. They literally say they're promoting public schools and they don't want the public to be involved. They're not public schools at that point. They're government schools. 
and you're to do do what you're told. You had the other candidate, Glenn Youngkin, who says, oh, yeah, you have a voice, and you'll have a say, and we're going to fix this. So let's go back to the beginning. All you care about is who wins the presidency in 24? Okay, well, you've conceded the fact now that to win the presidency in 24, you're going to have to put together some states. And if you win the governorship in some of these states, that's going to make it a little bit easier, a little bit better for you to put together that electoral college map, right? So, so we've moved from one step to the next. So now let's move to the next step. How do you win the governorship? You harness the energy of voters. You harness the energy of mom and dad. Glenn Youngkin harnessed the energy of those parents who were sick and tired and fed up and have had it. And they said, you bet, you bet we're going to vote for you because you say you care about us. You're actually going to help. Is this going to work in California or other states that are too far gone? Maybe not. But maybe if you move the needle a little bit, it means that the Democrats have to spend a little bit more money. But in Virginia, it certainly helped. A state, forget about all this, oh, Virginia's a purple state. No, it's a solid blue state. It's been so since 2009. It hasn't gone for a a Republican president since 2004. And yet this time, it went Republican across the board. And it happened not from the White House down, not from the Senate down, not from the Congress down, And it didn't happen from the state house. It happened from the lowliest, smallest, most minuscule level of representative democracy in our country, the school board. It happened from the ground up. You want to change who's the governor? You focus on your school boards and your city council. You want to change who's president? You focus on your school boards, your city council, your district attorney your state's attorney's races you make noise there you make differences in the lives of the people who are dealing with things in real time on the ground in your neighborhood on the streets where you live they get motivated to pull that lever for somebody else that changes the governor that changes the state that changes who sits in the white house you focus on your neighborhoods that's how it makes the difference. That's what happened in Virginia. In a moment, I'll tell you what happened in Waukesha. Waukesha, Wisconsin, where we just had that massacre. And it happened ultimately because of law and order justice reforms put forth by a district attorney. You want to fix Wisconsin, you fix that district attorney, you fix Wisconsin, you change the occupant of the White House. What are you going to do between now and Election Day to make that difference? 877-381-3811. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin on The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Daryl Brooks killed six people, including a young child, just passed away yesterday, the latest uh, death in that massacre in Waukesha, Wisconsin. Yeah, I love the media. They're calling it a Christmas parade crash. It was a crash. You know, 9-11 was just a plane crash into the side of a building. Uh, No, it was a massacre. It was vehicular homicide. I believe it was a terror attack based on his writings and rantings as a uh, uh, black supremacist. Are we allowed to use that phrase? (laughs) Uh, As a full-on racist. And yet he was out on bail, $1,000 bail. He has a a record 
that looks like, you know, one of those spiral notebooks you used to use for notes in biology class. That's how thick it is. That's how long it is. And yet, just a couple weeks ago, he tried to run someone over with his car. <laughs> and he was out on a $1,000 bail. The district attorney of Milwaukee County says, uh, yeah, that bail was probably too low. What do you mean, probably too low? It's his job. He's reduced all the bails because he is a social justice warrior with a DA on his business card. And he's in office because George Soros put him there. Same in San Francisco, same in Los Angeles, same in Philadelphia, same in the D.C. area. Let me ask you something. You think George Soros is dumb? Yeah. Mark Levin, the voice the liberals want to silence. But... You can talk to Mark at 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm filling in for Mark Levin today on this Thanksgiving Eve. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us. And your passion is uh, fantastic. All the phone calls that uh, continue to roll in, all of your feedback to me on uh, social media. I am on Twitter if you want to follow that. I'm still on Twitter. I know uh, uh, Mark is uh, disavowed, and I understand why, too, uh, uh, I'm still I still engage with the audience there, uh, and if you want to follow me there, it's Larry O'Connor with an O R at the end, the way God intended. Um, I just want to follow up real fast on that on that message here. Uh, yeah, do you think George Soros is stupid? Of course he's not. You may think he's wrong and and maybe even evil. I tend to think so, but he's not stupid. The man is not stupid. So why in the hell is he pumping literally millions of dollars? into district attorney's offices all around this country. From the D.C. area to Philadelphia to uh, Milwaukee, as we're mentioning here, where this guy who just murdered six people, in my opinion, uh, injured 40 more, what appears to be a terror attack, from my mind, this vehicular homicide massacre at this Christmas parade, he was out on bail for only $1,000 with a criminal record that's as, as as long as Mark Levin's arms and he has very long arms and he was out on a thousand dollars bail for literally trying to run somebody over but that's by design see this is all part of the destruction of the basic norms of our society and when all of this crime happens and people start screaming well, well it's because our system is broken is the response no they're breaking the system <laughs> It's not broken. They're breaking it. And then we'll say, wow, how'd this get broken? Well, we got to come up with a new way, and then they come up with their way. It's formed around Marxism. So George Soros gets these district attorneys in the D.C. area, Fairfax County, Loudoun County, as I was earlier mentioning, uh, in uh, Philadelphia, in Los Angeles, in San Francisco. You see this guy in San Francisco where they're looting. The media is now telling us we shouldn't use the word loot because that's racist. I'm sorry, who's the racist here? When I say, hey, there's looting going on in San Francisco, and they say, well, you can't say that because it suggests black people are looting. I'm thinking, and I could be wrong here, and forget, I'm, I'm open to the idea that I could be wrong. But I'm thinking, just on the face of it, you know, I'm Generation X. I was raised post-Martin Luther King. I was raised that it was the ideal to judge people by the content of their character, by their actions, by their morality, by their spirit, rather than the color of their skin. I know that's an old-fashioned notion now. 
but you ain't changing my ways. I still think that's the right, right way to go. <laughs> Maybe it's me, but if you hear somebody say there's looting going on in San Francisco and you immediately think, that that means black people are looting? Maybe you're the racist. Not the guy who's using the word looting. But we've got the media right now spending more time wringing their hands and admonishing people for using the word looting than they're wringing their hands and admonishing the actual looters. You'd think they'd be a little bit more upset about the lawlessness and the destruction and the vandalism and the crime and the theft. But no, the real problem is you're using the word loot. Because if there's looting going on, if there's theft going on, if there's mayhem in the streets of San Francisco, another city whose county district attorney was put in the job by George Soros's millions, if that's going on, it's because the system is broken. And the only solution is to fix the system. Now, why do I raise this? George Soros wants to change this country fundamentally. Do you notice where he puts his focus? Why isn't he worried about who's sitting in the White House? You don't hear him spend a lot of time or a lot of money or a lot of energy making sure that the right guy wins the presidential election. Do you think George Soros is stupid? Do you think the radical left in this country are stupid? Have you seen the makeup of your local school board? Some of them don't even have kids. <laughs> Some of them don't even have kids. But boy, do they have an agenda. How do you change a country? By focusing every four years on who wins the White House? Or maybe by focusing locally on who's making decisions in your kids' schools and in their curriculum and who gets to go to a girl's bathroom or not? And whether little girls have safety and privacy when they're vulnerable in that bathroom. How do you change a country? Do you focus on who happens to live at 1600 Pennsylvania? Or do you focus on people who are going to ignore the law and not even press charges against hardened criminals? Or after you arrest them, put them out on a handful of dollars bail because racism What's had a bigger impact on your country? By the way, let me ask you one other question. If you're upset about these district attorneys not following the law, not pressing charges, not representing you, the people, but instead being a second public defender in the courtroom, looking out for the interests of the accused and the criminal, if you're upset about that and you want to change it, who are you going to focus on? Who's going to bring the change? Electing a Republican for the White House three years from now? Or putting some energy into that district attorney's office, which you probably never even paid attention to. You want to change this country? I do too. I know there was a time when this idea of all politics being local was was this, you know, really favorable. Oh, Tip O'Neill used to say that all the time. Tip O'Neill, the Democrat. I have no doubt he did. He's an old-school, Roosevelt-Johnson kind of Democrat in Washington, D.C., from Massachusetts. And he said all politics and local. And what he meant was, if he can go to Washington and grab as much federal money and bring it back and dole it out and hand it out to interest groups in his district and keep all that money locally, he'll continue to get reelected. And he was right. 
But that's not what all politics being local means. All politics is local in that political issues and decisions and the the policies that elected officials champion and put forth in your neighborhood, in your schools, in your county, in your courtrooms, it has a very real world effect on your life, on your children's lives, on the on the crime in your neighborhoods. When somebody runs for president and they say, we're going to fix crime in this country, be suspicious. Not his job. You focus on the people whose job it really is. If we spend more time on that stuff, we really would change this country the way it was supposed to be changed from the ground up. So so what are you going to do? Are you putting together a plan? Because you've got one year, one year to make these cases. You want to go to your neighbors who haven't voted before, knock on the door and say, hey, I want to tell you why Nancy Pelosi is so bad. Yeah. Might not be a really influential talking point. But if you knock on your door and say, have you seen the curriculum at our kids' school? I can't believe what they're teaching our kids. Who came up with this? And if they agree with you and they join you at the school board meeting and these they see these school board members who ignore you and teach treat you with contempt and consider you to be the enemy, a domestic terrorist, because you dare to stand up and say, I don't want my child poisoned with your Marxist ideology, and you're the problem? Well, see, now they're going to start peeling away at the onion and find out what's really going on here. What happens in your house is much more important than what happens in the White House. Now, I've got more to say about that, and I and, and I will uh, as the days and weeks go on. But but I want to shift gears a little bit here because it is Thanksgiving, and and it's a time of faith. You know, I I, I like to think that you can be thankful whether you believe in a higher power or not, and, and you can't be. Uh, whoever you pray to, whoever, or if you don't pray to anybody, and if you're an atheist, God bless you. <laughs> I mean that with no irony. Um, you can still be grateful without believing. In, um, in, in a God, in the God. But most Americans, I'd like to think, still have some level of faith in their lives. It might not be the same as it used to be. But I think we're a more faith-based nation than most in the Western world. And I know I, know I have strong faith. And, and I do, I lead with it, I talk about it, I put it out there, I let people know what my faith is. Um, I, I am Christian, I am a Catholic. And I talk about it because it matters to me, and I happen to believe that people who do hold strong faith, it matters to them too. It's one of the most important things, if not the most important things in their lives. It's probably the most uh, motivating factor in their life. And if we're having a daily conversation here, you and I, and we want to talk about things that we care about, well, faith has got to be part of that equation. So as we venture into Thanksgiving, I want to speak to you as a Catholic, because we happen to have a Catholic president right now. First one since John F. Kennedy. It's funny, when Kennedy was elected, the concern there about many people who had some level of distrust of Catholics in this country, they worried that he would be beholden to the Pope, right? That was a thing. 
Like, oh, Catholics, they uh, they they take their orders on their faith from a, a foreign body, the Vatican, and so we can't trust him as an American president. Now, of course, that was not an issue, and certainly was an issue with John Kennedy, and it, it's never even mentioned with Joe Biden. It's funny how it's never mentioned with Joe Biden, because most people see through the thin veil of faith that he wraps himself in, because he doesn't really live the faith much, does he? Now, listen, I'm certainly not casting stones here but it's pretty public right now that the american bishops are wringing their hands over the idea as to whether joe biden should be able to accept communion or not or be given communion see we catholics we believe that the eucharist the communion that we're able to partake in every week at our sunday mass is the real presence of jesus right we 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 do believe that that's part of our faith it's a tenet of our faith it's one of our dogmas and if you are in a state of mortal sin, you certainly shouldn't present yourself to receive the Lord, God. I mean, you think that's God. God shouldn't be anywhere near your sin, right? Except when he's, you know, granting you salvation. But what's interesting is the question of whether priests should deny Joe Biden, the Holy Eucharist, is really not the question that we should be grappling with. You see, as usual, the issue with Joe Biden and his Catholicism really begins and ends with Joe Biden's narcissism. See, all his life and all his career, Joe Biden has been about Joe Biden. Look at some of the old clips of him. He is and always has been an arrogant, pompous jerk. Look at him at the Robert Bork hearings. Look at him at the Clarence Thomas hearings. Look at him when he ran in 1988. You, you've seen that famous clip. I graduated at the top of my class. I had a full scholarship. Only person in my class that had a full scholarship. I graduated with more credits than I needed. I And, of course, it was all a lie. But who even goes out and says that about themselves? He's an arrogant, pompous, narcissistic jerk. And the problem with regard to his Catholicism is the fact that he stands up and presents himself for communion, knowing that he's in a state of mortal sin. He's the one who's politicizing the church. He's the one who's forcing this issue onto his parish priest and ultimately the American bishops. It's interesting to me that uh, Joe Biden, when he refers to himself, and for that matter, when uh, people in his administration refer to him, they always say, well, you know, he's a very devout Catholic. Ah, you know, Joe Biden is a very devout Catholic. Always rubs me the wrong way. See, I think when you're proclaiming yourself as a devout Catholic, it, it carries a certain level of arrogance. You know, it ain't easy being Catholic. <laughs> we put a lot of demands on ourselves. It doesn't really mesh. When you say I'm a devout Catholic, it doesn't mesh with the humility that any servant of Christ should wear as a daily garment. I don't think the Pope ever walks around saying, I'm a very devout Catholic. No, we're supposed to be kind of humble in our faith. Look at me, everybody, look at me. I have a rosary within arm's reach at all times. Right? Who says that about themselves? And the Catholics that I have a lot of respect for, they're the ones that say, yeah, I'm Catholic, and I do my best to uh, live up to what our church expects of me. And like every person, I fail because I'm a sinner. You don't hear that much from Joe Biden, do you? Plus all this preening of Biden, this, this, this these public Catholic preening that he's constantly wearing like this badge. 
It's at odds with his public policy positions on issues that we all know are gravely sinful. It's a scandal. And it's a scandal that Joe Biden has brought upon himself. It's not a scandal of our church. It's not the church's fault. It's not our faith's fault. It's not the bishop's fault. It's not the priest's fault. It's all Joe Biden's fault. And he could remedy this issue immediately himself. He should. And, and I promise you, I'm not just casting stones here because, well, here's the fact of the matter. I personally deny myself communion, and I have done so for about seven years now. And so should Joe Biden, as the most high-profile Catholic in this country. I will explain, I'll give you a confession, if I could, in a moment, about why I deny myself confession, and at the very least, so should Joe. I'll share that with you in a moment. It's Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin on The Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. before thanksgiving so you know who you're thanking right you're thanking god i don't mind talking about religion you know we talk about everything on talk radio right and and it bothers me as a catholic that joe biden is misrepresenting our faith it is a scandal he's 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 engaged in false teachings here by putting himself up there and and forcing this issue on bishops here's the thing his support of abortion it's not even close he is absolutely at odds with our church his positions publicly his advocacy for something that is unambiguously sinful he's willfully put himself in a position that's contrary to the fundamental moral teachings of our scriptures our tradition of our church he is not in communion with the church but you see here's the thing it's not the priests and the bishops obligation to read your mind and know what's in your heart and know what you've been doing yeah sure he's a public person but ultimately, it's for us individually to search our soul and recognize that we shouldn't present ourselves for communion. I do this. I know this firsthand. I was married. I was divorced. And now I'm married to another person who isn't Catholic, uh, my beloved wife, Meredith. And I didn't get an annulment. I knew going in that this was my choice, my decision. I am not in communion with the church. So like millions of other Catholics around the world, I go to church, I pray, I ask for forgiveness, but I don't force the priest to an awkward situation. I don't present myself for communion. If I can do it, so should Joe Biden. His decision not to is not a reflection of our church. It's a reflection of his arrogance. Thank you for listening. 